Some of you have obviously looked ahead in your books and asked me about the title this morning, Infomensional. That's not a real word, um, Matt. I'm hoping someday that it has my picture beside it, that he was the guy that invented that. It's actually a, a uh, combination of two words that I thought of uh, one um, day. Infinite and dimensional. Infomensional. Because really, God is infomensional. He is multi-dimensional. And we're going to talk today about infinite. While I was thinking of that word, <laughs> I, I don't know what brought it to my mind, but I thought of that fathead commercial. You've seen those around Christmas time? And I thought to myself, you know, that's kind of a bad commercial that thankfully isn't on radio, because the first thing the kid says is, I got my fat head. And I'm thinking to myself, I, I heard that from the other room, and I had to rush to the TV to see what exactly that looked like. Uh, that's a really terrible commercial. You guys seen that commercial? That's only, oh, oh that's only down in southeastern Iowa by Missouri. When we moved down to Yarmouth, um, one of the questions that got asked during the question and answer time was, how are you going to adjust to life down here? And I literally said the first thing I ought to do is probably put my Missouri jokes away. You know, the one like, um, you know, Iowa's got a new zoo? They put a fence around Missouri. <laughs> Sorry. You might know you're from Missouri if... The last edition you put on your house is yellow. It has school bus written at the top of it. <laughs> I'll try to leave those alone. Um, when I was living in Des Moines, they were from Minnesota. I you know, moved down south, and uh, that has all come about by Missouri. In fact, when I moved down there, uh, when I said that, when I responded with um, put my Missouri jokes away, one of the ladies said to me, Well, Pastor, we're not in the southern two-tier of counties. I looked it up, they are. They are. And on top of that, we're next to Illinois. Nothing against you folks, fine folks from Illinois. We serve an infinite God. And this morning, we're going to look at this infinite God. And I wanted to... I, I, um, we're not going to turn there this morning, but I, if you want to do this on your own, read through Psalm 104. Um, Psalm 104 um, is a description, a, a little glimpse into this infinite God. And I wanted to just kind of summarize some of the thoughts that come through uh, Psalm 104. Not necessarily does the psalmist specifically talk about the things that we're going to look at this morning um, but it's, it's all in that text. And I wanted to start there this morning, but let's ask God to help us as we, as we again try to, at least in some approximation, comprehend a little bit of who God is. Father, we just thank you for the privilege, again, to look into your word and to talk about you. And Lord, we know that, that you are incomprehensible. We, there's no way we can understand you. You are infinite, we are finite. And, and the, the vast uh, 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 um, valley between us is insurmountable. And yet you have given us a glimpse of yourself through your word. So as we look at these passages this morning, help us to understand not only who you are, but also who we are in comparison and help us to absolutely pursue with the rest of our lives a knowledge of you. And may that become transformational in our life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in Psalm 104, um, as, as you unpack that psalm, you will find a definition of, um, inf of the infinite God. He is absolutely unlimited, immeasurable, and without degree. I, I, I kind of picked out three characteristics of God's plentitude from that particular passage. And plentitude is a word, by the way. 
first of all, he's, it, it, he, he does everything that he does effortless, effortlessly. It's not like he has to work at who he is or what he does. He does not work to acquire this infiniteness, this plentitude. He doesn't have to work at it. He doesn't have to work to keep it or improve on it. He doesn't use or express all of his attributes to an infinite degree all the time. Let me say that again to help to to solidify that. He does not use or express all of his attributes to an infinite degree all of the time. In fact, we couldn't even tell if he did. Because the, again, the valley between us is so large. And then he does not expend energy to express any of his attributes. It's, again, just who he is. The second thing I want us to understand from Psalm 104 is that, that in this, this unlimited, infinite God is absolutely limitless. And as you begin to think through the limitless God, this infinite God, isn't it kind of hard, like we said Sunday, to comprehend that? He cannot be measured. To speak of him as bigger or higher ultimately falls way short, even though that's how Scripture describes him. I think a lot of times when, when those scripture writers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit wrote those things down, it was written down in terms that we can understand as human beings. But it really doesn't begin to describe ultimately who this infinite God is because those terms would be un, uh, not understandable. Secondly, and under limitless, he cannot increase or decrease. He never increases or decreases. In fact, to, talk, to, to say that he's 100% holy, I don't think is even accurate. It's not um, absolutely accurate because that would indicate possibly of a decrease or increase at different times. And so that would be uh, maybe inadequate. He gives in Scripture a, a, an accurate but not exhaustive report of himself. In fact, at the, at the last of the book of John, it says if, if, G, if there was other things, if everything was recorded about Jesus, even the, all the volumes in the world would not be able to contain that. And so this description that he gives us in Scripture is... Accurate, but not exhaustive. And we can believe it and admire it, but we cannot comprehend it. Here's how the psalmist in Psalm 145 describes, the, describes God. Great is the Lord, and greatly do to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. His greatness is unsearchable. It's said of Christ, His Son, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. He is the head of the body, Christ, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And quite frankly, when you th often when you think of Jesus, you may think of Jesus as the Son of God and maybe in some approximation, lesser than God, but let me just tell you this, everything that God is, Jesus is. Because he is the, the um, express image of God the Father. So everything that God is, or that God is, Jesus is. And the last thing from Psalm 104, and again, you can look at that later, is... 
He's independent. He doesn't depend on anyone for anything. He's the only independent one. He doesn't need counsel. Paul reminds us in Romans 11, oh, the depth and the riches of wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or has or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. He doesn't need counsel, although, you know, we try to give it to him. God, you didn't do this right, or God, this wasn't on time, or God, you could have done this sooner or, or better or this way. We try to give it to him, but he doesn't need our counsel. He desires our worship and praise, but he doesn't need it. He desires it, he doesn't need it. In fact, if we don't worship, it's not going to rock his boat. I, the, the illustration I want to use is the sun gets absolutely nothing from the moon. That's the illustration. The sun gets absolutely nothing from the moon. And so that's the definition of God, the infinite God that you and I serve, that you and I love. Now the picture is Jesus from John chapter 1. And I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. This is a great passage. Years ago in, when we lived in Adel, we were having a Bible study. My uh, son, oldest son and I were involved in leading a men's Bible study with uh, several unsaved individuals. And one particular uh, man was, was from a Christian church. And, um, and um, he believed that Jesus was the Son of God, but he didn't, he didn't think God or Jesus was God. He wasn't, he wasn't deity. And so uh, we had spent a number of weeks already in, in our Bible study, and we were just basically answering questions that these men had about the Bible, about God, about Jesus. And his question came up that particular night, and, and the question was, is Jesus really God? And so I had, uh, beforehand, I had purchased um, a, a bunch of Bibles so that we could turn to page 16 altogether so that we weren't searching for John chapter 1. We could just turn to that page and it would be all laid out there. We wouldn't have to, um, they wouldn't feel embarrassed if they didn't know where John was. And so that night we started in John and we started in verses 14 through 18 where we're going to be this morning. And we be I began to read... And I said, we're going to look at, this, uh, this evening, we're going to look at um, who the Word is. We're going to try to find out who the Word is. And so we started in, in uh, uh, John chapter 1, and, and we began to work through verses 14 through 16. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. And, and um, all of a sudden, the light goes on in this guy's mind, and he says, well, well the Word is Jesus. I said, yes. Now let's go back up to verses 1 through 3. And no commentary, just reading through ch uh, chapter, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And, and we started reading that, and all of a sudden, just out of the blue, this guy says, well, Jesus is God. I said, yes. But it gets better. On the way home, my son goes, man, that was cool. I said, yeah, it was really cool. A couple weeks later when we met again, he says, man, that was transformational. Wow. I don't know that he accepted Christ at that point. But then, but then it even gets better. Two weeks later, he comes and he says, he says Jeff, he says, you wouldn't believe this, but, but I almost got hit Sunday. I said, hit? Like in a car? And he says, no, at church. He says, Why? He says, well, because I told a woman that Jesus is God, and she almost hit me. 
Because they didn't believe that. And, and here you have this picture of the infinite God in Christ Jesus, and he's there. The picture is glorious. Look at chapter 1, verse, starting with verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So this picture, Jesus, is glorious. And that just, it reminds me of, of the passage in Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord the whole earth is filled with his glory. I always thought that a little different, kind of a little odd. Because, you know, holy, 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 the whole earth is filled with his, seems logical to be holiness. And wouldn't that be great? But it's not holiness, it's, it's, it's filled with glory. And this glorious picture, Jesus came down to dwell with us. And so this picture, Jesus, is, whole, is, is glorious. And, and you think through some of the, the pictures of Jesus that we have throughout the Bible. One of the pictures that we have is in Isaiah 53. And as you walk through that passage, there is the, the, the description that Isaiah uses, there's nothing to behold. In fact, it's in verse, I believe, verse 3, that Isaiah uses a, a, Greek, or a Hebrew word that means root, and it's usually translated root in the English, but that word means sucker. And if you are an arborist, you know what a sucker is. It's when you chop down a tree, throw down to the, to the uh, stump, and then it's those branches that flow out of that, out of the ground. And the idea is there, those deserve to be cut. That's the picture that Isaiah paints of this holy, infinite God, glorious, and man viewed him as a sucker that needed to be cut. And then you have the opposite description in Revelation 5. Everything to behold. Worthy. Because he's God. So you have that stark contrast. But nevertheless, John's description of this word that became flesh, it's glorious. The second word that he uses to, to describe this picture, Jesus, is full. Overflowing with grace and truth. Two things that are absolutely desperately needed today. And they have been since Adam and Eve sinned. Grace and truth. Grace is needed. Look again at the verse there. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. The glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. Grace is needed because we sin and we do it well. Truth is needed because we need to know God and his cure for sin. And Jesus reveals the truth about grace. If you have just grace, I'm sorry, just truth, if you have just truth, ultimately there's no hope. There's, it, it makes grace impractical. It's, it's kind of like getting a degree in biophysics and then applying for a job at Walmart. And by the way, Walmart's headquarters are in Missouri, if that tells you anything. <laughs> Nothing against you Walmart workers. Nothing against you. But that's kind of like what it would be. 
truth without, uh, with, uh, without grace is like getting a degree in biophysics and then applying for a job in Walmart. If you have just grace, it's application without truth. And that is equally as dangerous. It's like putting a bike you got to, that you purchased at Walmart, like putting that together and then thinking that you can go apply for a job at NASA. It's not going to work. And so you have this full of grace and truth. Look at verse 16. John bore witness, verse 15, about, uh, about him and cried, This is the one whom I said, he who comes after me, ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And, and that is a beautiful term, grace upon grace. Think with me, it's a marketplace term. It means something for something. When you go to the market, you get food, but you purchase that with money. Back in the New Testament time, is usually bartered for those things, traded for those things. You get something for something. So in the context of John chapter 1, what do we get and what do we get? You're trading yesterday's grace for today's grace. Remember we talked about yesterday, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So you're trading yesterday's grace and mercy for today's grace and mercy. Grace, and, and another commentator put it this way, it's grace following grace. It's like being down at the dock and watching the waves come in. You have, and if you could label each one of them grace, it's like grace comes in and then grace comes in and then grace. It's just grace and grace and grace after one wave after another of grace. That's the fullness of God. That's Jesus. Inexhaustible supply. It's like the everlasting gobstopper. I could take a bag of peanut M&Ms. They're my, one of my favorite candy bars, if you want to put it in the candy bar category. I could take a, uh, a, just a little bag of, a little bag of, of M&M's, peanut M&M's, and I can make that last a long time. Because I suck off the, the candy shell and then enjoy the peanut, the soft chocolate in the meat, and then I crunch on the peanut. I could make that. My, my wife can eat a whole bag before I get two in my mouth. That's exactly what this is. Grace upon grace. Grace upon grace, and that's the term that John uses. And the comparison that he uses right here in the text, look at verse 17. For the law, so he, he, he does a little bit, hey, here's grace, but the law, for the law. We catch up here where find it. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. And if you follow that line of thinking through, the law exposes sin and condemns the sinner, but it never saves. Jesus, being full of grace and truth, is the fullness of this infinite God in man, the hypostatic union, and he died to do what we could never do. Grace and truth came through Jesus. What the law called us to do, Jesus accomplished and is accomplishing in us. And by the way, that work will be completed. Praise Him. 
So all of this, all of the definition and the picture has to have an application. As we were working through, um, uh, I've been involved in a Bible study with our men for a couple of years now, and we have been working through the doctrines. And, and one of the things that, that I, one of the purposes that I had in, in working through the doctrines is, of course, to teach, but then help them understand that, that theology, doctrine, is very practical. In fact, if it's not practical, it's not practical. Make sense? It, if it never touches our lives, what good is it? And so there's got to be an application, and for that we're going to journey over to Ephesians chapter 4. So if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at the application, which by the way, the application is the church. The application is the church. Now there are other applications that we can, we're going to apply it this morning to the church, Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, starting with verse 14 through 21, his prayer for the Ephesian church is to be filled with the fullness of God. In fact, uh, look, I believe, at verse uh, 19, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 19. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, I want you to think about that for just a minute. Filled with the fullness of God. And with our working definition of infinite, how do we do that? How are we filled with the fullness, this infinite, unsearchable, independent, full of grace and truth, being filled with the fullness of God? How in the world can we do that? We can't even understand it. So how do we do that? Chapter 4 and verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord... Urge you that you walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That's how. You walk worthy of the manner in which you have been called. And what is our calling? Well, if you flip over to chapter 5 and verse 1, therefore be imitators of God. This infinite, unsearchable, incomprehensible God. So the questions come flooding from Ephesians. So how do we experience the fullness of God? If it's infinite, it's, if it's un- incomprehensible, if it's, if it's just uh, there's this vast valley between us that cannot be uh, crossed over, how do we do that? How do we walk worthy of the calling with which we are called by this great infinite God? How do we imitate this infinite God? And then one of the other themes that runs through uh, Ephesians is unity. So how can we experience unity as we pursue the fullness of this infinite God? Well, I think there's four answers to that, and and they're found in the text, and so I'm going to give you just a brief outline of, of uh, chapter 4. This isn't the only outline, uh, but I, I think, there, uh, first of all, there can only be one person. There can only be one person. In other words, church isn't about you. Your church doesn't exist because you're there. It exists because Jesus died for it. And he said he would build his church. So church is not about you, even if you're the pastor. And and quite frankly, I've had to be reminded of that from time to time. Church isn't about me. I try to stay away from terms like my and mine. 
my church, my deacons, my, 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 even, even my office. I call it the office, the church's office. Because really, ultimately, church is not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about this infinite God. It's not us. In verse 2, Peter or Paul goes on to explain that we all struggle with humility, gentleness, patience, and love. Mind you, Christ never does. He doesn't just struggle with that. There is the, the, the Spirit is the only one who can produce those things in us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Those aren't something that we can conjure up within ourselves. As we yield to the Spirit, those that fruit, not those, that, because it's only one, that fruit shows up as we yield to Him. We are just channels. We are just vessels through which those, that fruit can flow. We all believe in God, verse 4, but a lot of times we just don't act like it. There's only one person. So in case you're confused, let's, let's look at verse 5. Starting with verse 5, Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, or of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high and he led the host captives, he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended... What does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who is descended is one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And there's a lot of theology in wrapped up in that, but it, just understand this. It's talking about Jesus. And he's the focus of the church. And so when churches get off that focus, that's when deception, and corruption take over. Church is not about you. It's about Jesus. There can only be one person, and that is Jesus Christ. There can only be one goal. In verses 13 through 16, Paul describes that goal as Christ-likeness. Let's just read that for... Um, for a moment, until, in fact, let's, let's pick it up a little before that, because he gave apostles in verse um, 11, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until, and this is, this is the goal, the one goal, until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we no longer uh, be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we, we are to grow up in every way into him, into him who is head into Christ. That's the goal, is Christ-likeness. It's, it's not how many ministries can we be involved with. It's bringing people from not knowing Christ into a knowledge of Christ through his, and, 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 and then helping them mature into Christ-likeness, not knowledge of who He is, but application of that knowledge of who he is. 
How many? Everyone. There's all wrapped up all in that, those several verses. How far till we reach the measure of the fullness of Christ? And you might say, well, wait a second, Pastor Jeff, there's no way we can reach the fullness of Christ. You're right. So this is going to take a long time. Yeah. This is going to take a lifetime of pursuing Christ-likeness. And how much? So that in every way it can sustain itself through the power of the Holy Spirit. So not only do you, um, is the goal reaching Christ-likeness, but then being able to sustain itself through the power of the Holy Spirit, which we can't do the first, so we really can't do the second, but again, it's the goal. So, in other words, in the church, we have the opportunity and responsibility to grow all the way through till we die or we're raptured. There's only one goal. And, and quite frankly, there's only one formula. Look at it with me. Verses 11 and 12. And he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. There's only one formula. And that's the way God intended it. That's the way God set it up. And when you get off of that, it's going to fail. It might look from the outside that it's working. You can draw a big crowd. You can look on TV on Sunday morning and probably every other day of the week and find the Joel Osteen crowds everywhere. I find it interesting that someone told me they looked up uh, uh, entertainment on Sirius Radio and Joel Osteen was there. He wasn't under religion. He was under entertainment. The context is the church. I implore you to be part of the church. The ministry is equipping. And the outcome is maturing. That's right in that text. And it's beautiful because there's a twofold connection to the head of the church. There's the individual connection, my connection to the head of the church as I grow up into Christ. And then there's this corporate connection as I encourage and help others be built up into Christ. And so there's a double, twofold connection to the head. And lastly, in the application, there can only be one life. And we find that scattered throughout verses 17 through 32. So let me just walk through that, not verse by verse, but just in summary. And summarize it by one phrase, you cannot go back to living for yourself. You can't go back there. As we've been learning on the evening, in the evening sessions, it's vanity. You cannot go back to living for yourself. So it doesn't include, include things like the futility of your mind, uh, darkened understanding, being alienated from God because of the ignorance due to the hardness of your heart. I call that, I call that, blissfully and intentionally ignorant. Probably know some people like that. Callous and sensual living doesn't include that. Veracity to practice every kind of impurity, 
displays of rage, stealing, lying, those are not included in this life, in this one life that is produced without of the application of this infinite God. What it does include is putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Not lying, but speaking the truth to one another. Uh, when you're angry, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down upon your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief that stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to give to others. Not allowing corrupt talk to come out of our mouths, but good talk, good words, edifying words to build up, to give grace to those who hear. It includes not grieving the Holy Spirit by the way we were sealed until the day of redemption. By not allowing bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor to be a part of our lives and slander with all malice. And then our memory verse from today, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And as that application comes to us, there's only one life, we look at that list, and I just want us to understand that the church can't give those things to us. You cannot blame your church for where you are spiritually. Those things come from God. And God, in Isaiah, he says, my word will not return void. And, and we look at the application of that particular phrase, and we say, but yeah, but, but not everybody's living the life they should. We are the ones that make God's word empty when we disobey, when we decide to do our own thing. It's going to accomplish whatever it sets out to accomplish. And you see that happening throughout the church. But there are several in church that don't allow that to happen, that to happen in their lives. And that's not on God's word. It's not on the church. It's on themselves. You cannot get these things from the church. These things from God, come from God, and by the way, God alone. The church is essential in disseminating the resources that God has given. So let's just unpack that a little bit. Where do you get it? Where do you get this, this life? You get it from God. Where do you fine-tune it? The church. With the help of your brothers and sisters who hold you accountable, who help you along the way, who build you up in Christ, admonishing you, encouraging you. Some will settle for self-significance. Some will settle for getting how many times, I, how many conversations I've had over the last 20 plus years of ministry will say, well, pastor, I'm just not getting. I remember that a, a particular conversation back when I was first in ministry, and I was just the youth pastor, and so I was kind of insignificant. Sitting in on a deacon's meeting, and someone came into the, had, had requested to come in and and talked to the deacons and pastor, and they sat down and they said, Pastor, we just aren't getting anything from your messages. I wasn't smart aleck about it, but they, the conversation went on, and then finally I just piped up and said, well, when is the last time 
you read God's word for yourself. Uh, again, I wasn't smart aleck about it. That was a, in, in my opinion, that was a genuine question. I was only in my 20s. And they had never thought about that. And I believe that even today, I think they're still part of that church. Praise, praise the Lord. Because you see, church is not about getting. But let me tell you, if you give, and I'm not talking about just financially, if you give, you are going to get. You reap what you sow. Some see church as um, uh, um, to be a place to be ministered unto, to have a stage. Some see the Christian life and they, they look to even righteousness. If I can do a lot of things right, that's the life. None of those things are the only life that we find wrapped in the church. So this morning, what is our response to this infinite God who has revealed himself in his Son and everything that God is, Jesus is, and then he builds his church to help us understand those things and then to grow up into the fullness of Christ, who, by the way, is the fullness of God. What is our application? What is our response? Well, for those of you here that don't have a relationship with Christ, admit that you don't even know how much you absolutely need Him. I was saved at the age of nine. I realized I was a sinner. I was a sinner a lot, long time before age of nine. But I finally realized that, and there, I realized there's nothing I could do about that. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, hey, you know, if I'm good enough, maybe I'll go to heaven. And I've heard that lots. Ultimately, even the good things we do, Isaiah says, there's filthy rags. Admit that you don't know how much you need him. In fact, the measure of our need is the measure of, God, of Christ's provision. He was sent with the fullness of God because we desperately need that. Admit that you cannot do it by yourself. You can try entertainment, money. We talked about that a little bit last night. Matt did. Entertainment, job, obedience, education, books, church, conferences, evangelism, missions, trips, Bible studies. You can try all of those things. But ultimately, the one thing you need is Christ. And by the way, as the fullness of God, this infinite God... He is way more than you need, but you desperately need Him. And then receive the exchange, the great exchange. I love that, that chorus, His robes for mine. I wrote down several thoughts in this exchange. Our guilt for His righteousness, our filth, for his blood, our darkness for his light, our selfishness for his for um, the his will lost in God's will, our ignorance for his revelation of the glory of God, our thirst for the living water, our hunger for the bread of life, and our self-help for Christ's cure. That's the response if you're here without Christ. Realize you desperately need Him and call out to Him. For those of us that are in Christ, praise.
In fact, if you look in the text, Ephesians chapter 4, look at verses 33, 34, and 35. And since there's not a 33, 34, and 35, I don't know where that came from. Now I'm lost. <laughs> uh, praise. I'll just say a couple things with that. Maybe you can find it in the text. Don't allow Satan or yourself. Don't allow Satan or yourself to deep or to cheapen or darken your view of God. That happens so often. We allow Satan, we allow ourselves to, to cheapen or darken our view of God. We accept the things that culture has and their views of God, and we accept that into ourselves and into our lives, into our families, and, and sometimes even into our churches. And it cheapens it. And understand this, even your obedience... Even your obedience will not add anything to God's infinity. The sun gets nothing from the moon. That's response for those who are in Christ. Response for the church. The church is more than just friendships. We had a couple of uh, families leave about the same time and seek for another church in our community. And one of the things as they were walking out the door, one of the things they said or later on after they left is, we can't see each other anymore. Church is not just a social gathering. We have made it that. But church is not a social gathering. I like to refer to it as a, as a factory where we're producing disciples that go out into the world. Amy Carmichael said this, we are not here to enjoy each other's company. We are here to do the will of God. Church is where we come to be equipped for ministry. And if there was ever a time in the United States where we desperately need a picture of this infinite God, today's the day. And the church is the place where we can see that. I referred to unity back in the beginning of our time together in, in Ephesians. One of the verses that we had on our devotions, family devotions today, John chapter uh, 13, 34 and 35. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I think some of our churches need a strong dose of loving one another. If there's ever a place and a time in the United States where, the United, where it needs a picture of God, now's the time the church is the place where we can see the love and grace and mercy of God to get just a small glimpse of God's infiniteness. Our church recently went through a little bit of a struggle and part of that struggle was there was a lady in our church who had been involved in our church for several years who um, had a baby out of wedlock. She was um, later on in life, um, she went into the hospital with a bladder infection and came out with a baby. It's one of those things. She didn't even know she was pregnant. Uh, we found this out on Friday night. Um, I told the, uh, the deacons before the church service, um, hey, right after the church service, I'm going to escape out the back. You guys meet me down in my office. Uh, we need to, I've got some things to share. So I went down to my office and shared, hey, guys, this is what's happened. She was very repentant. 
Um, in fact, she came, we, we held a special deacons meeting a couple, I think it was Monday or Tuesday of the, of the following week, and, and she came in and she repented from the, from the deacons, asked, asked forgiveness from the deacons. Um, sadly enough, one of the deacons looked at her and said, we'd like you to take your membership out of the church. By the way, do you need any money? She left, and I looked at the deacons, and I said, we're not going to do that. We're not going to ask her to do that. I said, we can't really ask her to get married because we don't know the guy. We don't know if he's saved. We don't really want to bake up a family unit that just has a new little child, so we're not going to do anything on that side of things. I said, what I'd like you to do is, is to... Uh, some of the men knew him, and I said, uh, or at least knew of him, and I said, I would like you to, to talk to him, and, and let's get a picture of where he is in life, where he is with a spiritual condition. Two weeks passed, and we had another scheduled deacons meeting, and, and they looked at me, and they said, Pastor, what are we going to do? I said, well, what have you guys done? Well, Nothing. Well, I said, um, we need to do something. That is for sure. But we're not going to do what you guys suggested. That's not a picture of who God is. I said, let's, again, let's go and, and, and find out what's happening in his life, where he is spiritually. By this time, in those two weeks, I had already met him. And I had already, uh, the conversation led to me finding out that he wasn't saved. And so a month passed. I had had several conversations in that month with him, trying to work with him. And, and we come to the next deacon's meeting, and, and they said, well, pastor, what are we going to do? I said, well, gentlemen, what have you done? Well, well nothing. Well, <laughs> I found out he's not saved. So... What we need to do is start working with him. One of you should take the lead in that and, and have a Bible study with him. Share the gospel with him. No, pastor, they didn't say this, but they said, no, pastor, that's your job. They, they um, I call it, rose up a coup. And tried to boot me out because I wouldn't do what they said. Um, that coup failed and they left. All the deacons left. I uh, then, it was, that, was, um, that was in August. The, the little girl's now just about a year old. Um, I had the chance to bring him up to men's retreat. Uh, later on that month, and four hours of windshield time, just him and me. I found out that he was saved. He was part of a Nazarene church. He just didn't know he was saved. And on the way home, he says, Pastor, do you think we could have a Bible study? Ah! Yes, Absolutely. I said, let's talk about marriage. In March of the next year, after counseling them, they got married. Two weeks later, she comes forward with her husband now and asks the whole church for forgiveness. I had planned everything but the church's response. And the church responded like they ought to respond. With grace and mercy. Six months later, this past September, I had the privilege of baptizing Corey. Beautiful picture of what the church should be to reflect this awesome, infinite God. 
so that the world around sees that the church is not just a social club, a gathering place, but is a place where we come for healing and love. I think today the appropriate scripture and action is to have a season of prayer for yourselves, for your family, for your church. Many individuals, families, and churches are struggling, and they desperately need an infinite God. Father, we thank you for the privilege again to open your word this morning and see not just the theology, but the practical outworking of that theology in the church that you designed, you build. And I pray that each one of our families, each one as an individual and each one of our churches would be picture of that infinite God. We cannot attain to that. But we can reflect who you are. And so I pray that you just give, a, give us a great season of prayer today. In Christ's name.